Unexplored Territory podcast. For this episode, we invited Vaughn Stewart to the show to talk about the role of data platforms in AI and ML systems. Hey, Vaughn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. Before we dive into the vast topic, Vaughn, can you talk about your career in IT and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently, I am the Vice President for Systems Engineering within the systems engineering org inside of uh, Vast Data. So I lead the team that covers the Western half of the Americas. Prior to that, I spent nine and a half years at Pure Storage from 100 employees up to 5,000 and got to, you know, really uh, be at the forefront of the adoption of all flash uh, technologies. And, and, you know, Pure got it right on that that mix. Uh, while I was there, I built their consumption model, which is referred to as Evergreen One. And prior to that, I spent 13 years at NetApp and probably the highlights of that time frame, which maybe some folks on this call might know is uh, I'm recognized as the one who brought NFS for VMware to market along with data deduplication and uh, a slew of other storage and VMware related efforts. Yeah, I think the time you were at NetApp, that's the time that we met as well at back in the days called VMworld. Now it's called Explore, of course. And of course, you were the person in the gorilla suits for the people who are really in, into the know of things, right? If you know, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> actually, it's a little bit interesting. Let's let's start with the history and and relate that to the ML phase we're into the the the, the gold rush of of machine learning. And when you look at these ML workloads, I think I see a connecting workload. It requires all the infrastructure components to run on all their cylinders to basically perform as best as they can. And that reminds me of a time when we just got started with virtualization back in the time when I met you, is that instead of being an OS administrator or maybe like in my uh, uh, time, I was an exchange administrator, I needed to... <laughs> I've been there as well. <laughs> yeah, right. We all start somewhere, and um, but when we started with with virtualization and with VMware ESX, uh, we had to learn new things. We had to learn about the OS. We had to learn about networking. We had to learn, of course, about storage, and that was a really exciting time where we now saw all these things connecting into our hypervisor, and we needed to learn these things to actually get a performant environment. And so with that in mind, and if, if you look at the ML workloads, I pretty much see the same thing. I see these, these workloads generate a lot of data that flows through different systems, somehow sometimes scale out systems, and we need to figure out how to get this thing running as, as, as well as we can. What's your opinion about this? I'm really appreciative of the point where we're starting. And, and before I respond and, and actually... Um, carry forward some of the thoughts that you shared there, I should make sure that your audience understands who Vast Data is, which is um, we are a data platform uh, for the AI era. 
Uh, we provide enterprise and cloud providers a global data infrastructure offering that unifies storage, databases, and virtualized compute engine services into a scalable and highly uh, efficient uh, storage platform that was really built from the ground up for AI. Now, that's a lot. And so um, instead of breaking that all apart here, uh, I think as uh, go back to kind of the question that you phrased about we're seeing this this massive adoption of GPUs and other accelerated compute platforms, be it IPUs or TPUs or heck, even on the fabric, the, the DPUs. I think what I shared with there will, will start to come out in, in comments as we talk through this. So so to your point, right, if we flash back it's 2006, it's February, vSphere 3 gets launched and there's all this FOMO, right? Business leaders are like, I don't want to miss out. I, I see this technology. It's matured. It's hit its tipping point. And, you know, we need the the, the cost savings of, of consolidating tier three and tier two workloads, right? That's really kind of the initial starting point of adoption for VMware. It obviously grew way beyond that, right? It grew into, you know... Um, a hybrid cloud. It went from virtualization to cloud, but it grew into hybrid cloud. It talked about application, you know, availability being increased and workload placement and management, you know, eliminating, you know, complicated data reductions and or data migrations and downtime with systems. Like it just it, virtual desktops, uh, you know, labs, classrooms, like it just it exploded the use case everywhere. And so here we are again in, in, in a very similar ma- manner where we've got this accelerated computing come up and in the same same experiences back then, I see the infrastructure folks stuck with a little bit of fofu, right? Fear of forking it up um, because they've got pressure from the executive team around adopting a new technology and they're not sure what they need in an infrastructure to make sure that that investment is successful, right? Whether there's the ROI there or however we want to measure success. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's probably about 70% of our business is AI and HPC. And I would say that that enterprise component of it is probably three quarters of the conversations. You know, the one quarter of the conversations we're dealing with these large GPU cloud um, hyperscalers, you know, your, your, your lambdas and your core Wii's and your core 42s, or we're dealing with, you know, large um, scientific research centers like the Texas advanced computing center um, or national labs. For example, these are, you know, highly technical uh, individuals and teams who are used to kind of pushing the envelope. And, and so, you know, that's a much more tech-centric conversation. In the enterprise, right, we're, we're coming in and enterprise teams have a lot of technical expertise. I'm not meaning to be offensive there when I compare them to the, the you know, the, the, the folks that are on the bleeding edge. Um, you know, they tend to get technology and adopt technology when it becomes a little bit more mature. We're still in that early curve of, of the maturation of GPUs, but you know, when left without any guidance, what we see behavior-wise is, is you know, storage teams saying, I've got to support this infrastructure. I need the fastest storage on the planet. And, you know, i got to keep GPUs busy. And how do I get there? Because my legacy storage systems, even if they're all flash and, and are fast relative to legacy systems, aren't fast enough to meet the requirements for an AI-centric infrastructure. And, Let's pause there. It's a, it's a good point to just kind of pause and break it down. So NVIDIA is clearly the, the leader in the market space in terms of providing uh, GPU and GPU-capable uh, infrastructure components. Um, they have a, a, a way that they um, uh, put out their reference architectures. They have tiers, if you will. They have one that's called the base pod, which is a certified architecture from uh, software 
compute networking down to storage. And then they have a higher tier offering, which is called SuperPod. And SuperPod is where most enterprises are looking to um, deploy enterprises and cloud service providers. The SuperPod only has four storage partners today in that architecture. And that's because it has a performance requirement that's um, measured in the tens to hundreds of gigabytes per second in terms of read and write performance. So, for example, in a SuperPod, there's a, a good, better, best tier of performance. And on the on the best side, from a single client, you've got to be able to read data at 60 gigabytes a second. You've got to be able to write at 20 gigabytes a second. I mean, you don't find that in your, your legacy storage array platforms, right? So because of that, the SuperPod architectures then are comprised of three parallel file system architectures. Um, there's one that's based off of the Luster file system, one based off of uh, GPFS, and a third based off of BGFS. And if your audience is like, I'm not really familiar with those, well, if we're talking to enterprise folks, it's because it's not very common in enterprise. It's much more common in research environments, um, high-performance, boutique, fragile, um, and really struggling nowadays with um, uh, maintenance, particularly with you know the, the how uh, how much we have to focus on cyber resiliency and protecting our infrastructure from cyber attacks. But VAS is different. We're 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 SuperPod certified on NFS, and we've brought forth you know multi-parallel NFS. We do it over RDMA, so it meets what's called GPU direct storage requirements. And so our offering is very different. We're doing HPC level performance and we exceed the best in class super pod performance requirements. So we meet the performance requirements, but we do it in a industry standard protocol, no server side clients that we got to deal with and any downstream effects of patching and maintenance because you're trying to put a kernel driver in on a, on a system. But more importantly, we give the resiliency, the availability um, and the scale of, of an enterprise system so that you know customers can adopt our technology and, and and put it in place right away and so coming back around to kind of the first point customers really get caught up on performance and 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 they're stuck between this choice of do i adopt a parallel file system where do i hire someone who knows how to operate the file system um and and is this the right decision for us or do i look at something like vast which is going to be more you know, uh, talking industry standard protocols that I'm used to from NetApp or Dell DMC or others. That's one. The second aspect then, then that we we look at is is really um, are you looking at if you're if you're an infrastructure administrator or you have responsibilities for an infrastructure and you're looking at storage, like well, besides the parallel file system versus NFS debate, it's what attributes do I need from that storage system, and so. Um, one of the things that the parallel file systems do better than vast data is they'll give you equal read-write performance, right? So if I can read at, at X number of gigabytes a second, I can also write there. And that's kind of unique, right? That's very unique. And if you're just doing a paper exercise where, where vast is more read-centric relative to its write centricity, and look, you know, we write very fast, Um uh, I'll cover that in a moment when we maybe talk a little bit about architecture. But um, you have to understand that in, in AI models, whether we're training for large, like multimodal large language models, or whether we're dealing with like an accelerated computing application that's working for like uh, chip simulation in terms of like the EDA space, or if we're doing it like protein folding, or if we're looking at like genomic sequencing or uh, analytics around high frequency trading, for example, right? All these are accelerated applications. Um, 
the whole goal of, of when you're trying to do AI is to look at a large swath of data, process it, and provide refined output. And I th- and so in that case, it is very, uh, you know, read heavy. Uh, and you shouldn't take my word for it. Go look at the certification requirements for the what I just referred to for SuperPod and, and even BasePod from NVIDIA, which is, you know, NVIDIA recognizes that it is mostly a read-dominated um, infrastructure. And more importantly, um, random read. Now, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll share with you here and then, and then pause and we'll, we'll come up for a little bit of air is AI has an interesting pattern around data relative to traditional, more like systems of records inside of the enterprise, right? In, in a, a traditional enterprise, right? Usually the, the data that's most valuable is the most recent data, right? So whether we're talking about a system of record, like a database or an ERP system, or even if we're talking about the, the products that we're currently developing and, and are you know working towards bringing to market, whether that's uh, I kind of referenced chips before, but it could be let's say uh, maybe you're in the video effects editing or, or broadcast space, right? The most current data is your most valuable data. It's the data that's accessed most frequently, and then the excess tends to drift as data ages, and then we tend to move data between different tiers, right? That's kind of a classic storage model, if you will, and, and not just storage. Heck, we even see in virtual machines, these virtual machines going off flash, these virtual machines go on hybrid storage um, because of their criticality or their performance needs. <clears throat> Vast brought a new architecture to the industry. We call it DACE. It stands for disaggregated and shared everything. And to understand DACE, I should set the stage and say, by, by contrast, every legacy storage platform, whether we're talking scale out, scale up, HCI always constrains your resources to here's a controller or some some term similar to that. Here's the disk storage associated to that controller, the CPU of that controller, and the network interfaces of that controller. And that controller services and accesses the data um, that is assigned to it, physically allocated to it, if you will. Now, it may be able to read data in east-west type of traffic like HCI, right? And there's overhead for that that trades off performance, but those architectures always constrain you to, you can only get the performance of the controller when I want to read a, a data or a data set. Um, and what vast and what's very interesting is that our architecture is comprised of uh, JBOF enclosures. So just a bunch of flash enclosures. Um, they leverage QLC flash drives for a persistent tier. We leverage storage class memory um, to act as our, our write buffer, if you will. That is connected to containers which provide our front-end protocol access over uh, an RDMA fabric, be it uh, our, you know uh, Ethernet or, or InfiniBand, depending on what the customer prefers. And our containers run in, in servers that we call, we call C nodes. And so what's unique about this architecture is that every protocol container can access every bit of data on the back end. And based on client protocols like NFS or SMB, we can actually we can actually parallelize your I/O across as many front end containers as you need to. And so, what you have here is this really interesting model of I've got very economical flash QLC, right, like tier two type of price storage. I've got this scale up model of containers that lets any any file be serviced by all containers simultaneously which gives me massive parallel throughput to the clients 
a la the super platforms I re- referred to. Um, and we can scale out independently, whether it's storage or the, the, or the compute with the containers on it for performance. And in this model, we introduce a new form of data reduction called similarity-based data reduction, which is really like, think of it like a global compression. Um, for this podcast here, I don't know if we've got time to, to dig into it. You could do a whole podcast just on similarity. But basically what we're bringing to you is, is best-in-class data redundant, uh, reduction technology. So you've got a platform that's affordable and highly performant. So we've broken kind of that trade-off where I would tier data historically from hot, fast data to you know cool, mid-performance data to cold archival data. And instead, what we're giving you is archival data price point, HPC performance. And this is key, and I kind of saved the punchline to the end here, so my apologies, is because when you're in an AI training model, you don't train the model across a data set, publish, publish your algorithm or your model, and, and that's the end of it. You always keep bringing in more data, and then you train against the entire data set again because more data gives you more uh, granularity or clarity, if you will, in terms of the results. Accuracy is another way to put it. Yeah. Um, and so, again, what I said is historically we have hot data and it cools off over time. And when, unfortunately with AI, you get today's data, tomorrow's data, the year after, the year after that you have to constantly trade against. So I have to store it affordably. I can't tear it off and make it inaccessible to, to be accessed quickly. Um, and so I don't know where customers go in terms of how are they going to adopt and make their infrastructure AI ready um, with their legacy platforms. You know, the, probably the best options right now are you, you're going to look at fast or you're going to look at the parallel file system experiment. Yeah. So I'll you. Pause there. Yeah, you gave me a lot of, or the listeners, a lot of interesting points and that I would like to dig in a little bit more. And uh, mm-hmm. let's let's talk about uh, NFS over RDMA later, a GPU Direct, and, and um, of course, your, your whole new protocol, uh, DAIS. But let's start at the beginning because one of the things that you said about was you're one of the four protocols that actually support a super pod, like an NVIDIA super pod. But one of the things, and I do think that the SuperPod is a brilliant, um, a brilliant construction, um, a solution, if you want to call it like that. Um, but what I n- know or what I hear from a lot of our enterprise customers is that they say, hey, I've got these golden boxes being driven into my data center and I have absolutely no idea how to manage those with our current framework and that's where we typically go in and say hey we've got these hdx boxes similar hardware similar uh, performance however it's it's built inside a dell box an hp box whatever right so it actually connects to your operating framework you have your out-of-band management all of these things So, so the next thing of course is you want to have the same management silo and thus let's virtualize this but then, of course, we need to talk about the storage layer. Like you said, uh, a lot of the ML stuff is more uh, random read intensive because we're crunching a lot of data. And so the, the question that I have are actually two questions, but let's start with the first one, is that how do you accommodate ML workloads on a virtualization platform and still be able to manage it like without it to become too complex 
does VAST give you that that solution? What what's your opinion about that? Uh, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, you know, I don't I don't have any um, hard data behind what I'm going to say here, but just as a uh, what I observe within our customer environment, um, uh, there's a large adoption of virtualization uh, within the DGX and the HGX, which are the OEM platforms for for NVIDIA uh, GPUs, both within the DGX and the HGX deployments. Um, we see this um, heavily in uh, cloud service providers, right, where they want to be able to to uh, allocate out a, a portion uh, of a GPU or an entire GPU or multiple GPUs to tenants on demand, right? So that software layer of of you know, uh, the hypervisor and, you know, I think NVIDIA calls it the NVAIE, right? Um, it allows you to partition up the DGX or the HGX and allows you to then orchestrate it through software so that it can be available on demand, right? You're kind of, you know, job slicing, if you will, up the, the GPUs for on demand. From an infrastructure platform uh, on our side, um, we support multi-tenancy, which allows you to, through software, uh, logically partition um the the vast data platform per tenant so that each tenant has their own authentication realm, you know, whether that's Active Directory or Kerberos or, or NIS, whatever you're doing, right? So that so you are segmenting tenants from one another. Uh, on top of that, then you, you get to leverage VLANs to, to segment off the traffic. We can do per tenant data encryption with an enterprise key manager, and we support a number of those. And that, you know, is just one step further to make sure that, you know, if for some reason there was human error and tenant A got to tenant B's data, they can't read the data. Um, uh, and so, and then across all of that, we support quality of service, both uh, at the hardware layout layer, as well as the, the, the software layer. And so the combination of multi-tenancy, VLAN segmentation, data at rest encryption per tenant, QoS, really folds in really nice with NVAIE, where you're, you're publishing virtual machines with GPU access, uh, you know, GPU resources assigned to them kind of on demand uh, so that your uh, tenants can get to the data. And this is key both from a segmenting data, but also from keeping GPUs busy. One of the top challenges that we, we hear from customers repeatedly is we made this big investment into AI. We've got big, grandiose plans for product improvement or, you know, whatever the business initiative is. And our GPUs just, you know, are running at 20% idle, right? I hear that constantly, 20% idle. Yeah. Part of that is is jobs and resource scheduling, which NVAE helps resolve and address, right? I don't need to lock up a, a physical server, you know, and, and the deployment of the, the infrastructure resources around it when I can logically partition up and make it more available on demand. What's really nice there, and I know you said you want to hold off on that, is um, that, uh, let's talk about VMware specifically, right? You guys plumbed RDMA all the way through to the virtual machine, um, which we talked about GPU direct storage being a requirement um, for SuperPod with NVIDIA. Uh, GPU direct storage is really just a marketing framework, if you will, and no offense here, there's a little bit of engineering, but um, it basically stands for any RDMA-based protocol. So it could be InfiniBand, or it can be NFS over RDMA, uh, as an example, if you're using a file protocol. Um, 
So we, you know, what we see real common is, is customers taking virtual machines, allocating GPU or virtualized GPU resources to them, and then they're able to make NFS mounts over RDMA directly to the storage. And the benefit of this is you get a much higher rate of transfer, of data transfer, not because something magical is happening over the wire. It's that with the RDMA protocol, if the GPU is requesting the data or if the CPU is requesting the data, the data goes directly to that computational unit and doesn't go through system memory, CPU, back in the user space, then to the GPU or vice versa. It goes directly to the resource that has to process it and in, in turn provides significantly greater performance. Performance means reduction in, 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 in um, you know, wall time. Thus, you, you get you know, more productivity out of the system. Yeah, and that is very important, especially when you think about it for most uh, applications. Wall time is not that important. It's Yeah, you need to have latency for, for particular access or reduction of latency. But when you reduce millions and millions of reads, the time to reduce that, that is significantly improving your uh, go-to-market time, right? And I assume that's something oh, yeah. that you want to achieve. Yeah, um, it, it is. It, it, it's funny. I want to uh, maybe give an example. Um, we were actually at lunch, uh, a bunch of us from VAST yesterday, the SE team, and some from the office of the CTO. And there was this debate about benchmarking storage that was going on. And, and one camp was talking about, you know, when you go through all these esoteric forms of testing, all these, you know, odd use cases, and that's how you know what the hardware can deliver. And there was another side of the table that was saying, well, you need to understand what the customer's trying to accomplish. Um, and you have to put the technology in, you have to select technology based on the requirements. And I'm in the latter camp. I, I recognize and understand the, the former, but I'm in the latter camp. And so let me give you an example, right? So we, we had a customer, well, they're a customer now. Uh, there was prospect at the time. They're like, look, I bought a super pod. It's got the luster file system. And, um, we want to talk to you and you're, we're kind of, at first you're like, what's wrong with your Lustre file system? And they're like, well, we're not keeping GPUs busy. And that seems like an odd statement. Um, and again, we see this with uh, global parallel file system or GPFS. Um, uh, we see it everywhere, but you have to kind of dig in and go like, like, I know you're on a file system that's performant. What's the issue? And what's kind of really popped up is, is been two issues. Um, one is, uh, and I don't want to be negative here, so I won't elaborate too much. But one is there's a lot of fragility around these parallel file systems, right? You've got to you've got to install a you know a kernel level driver, and at the rate at which you know cyber teams come in and say, hey, uh, there's a vulnerability in your stack, you got to patch that stack. We've seen we've we've had customers tell us, you know, I patched the, the Linux kernel, my parallel file system driver goes offline, and like I had one story, a customer told us we were offline for six weeks, six weeks, like. You know, that used to not happen in like academia and research environments because we didn't have a focus on patching the, the compute clusters, right? You'd deploy a 2000 node cluster and it would sit for six or seven years. That's not the case today with, with you know, the, 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 the cyber threats that we face. The second issue, though, and what's much more common and prevalent is customers are building silos. So you build an AI silo, you take your NVIDIA stack and you build your stack or your Let's say it's with with uh, HPE. You do the HPE, you know, a HGX stack. Which, uh, by the way, HPE GreenLake for file is is actually an OEM of vast uh, vast data software. So you know you can 
look at that in a couple of ways, which is one, you know, more routes to market, but two, you know, a validation of, of what we're doing in market uh, with HPE, you know, OEM or technology. Uh, but coming back to the point, I was talking about being an architect. And so customers with high performance infrastructure saying I've got low GPU utilization. And what we have seen in multiple cases is customers saying, well, my data, my data of high value, the data that contains our, our IP, right? It's the data behind the products that we're creating. Well, that sits on traditional enterprise storage. It's on NetApp or Pure or, or a Dell EMC, you know, mass device or lots of devices, right? Large enterprise. And what they're doing is they're copying data to the AI silo, running whatever GPU accelerated tools they have there really fast, and then slowly copying the data back again. And I say slowly because it's the, it's the performance difference between legacy storage, even if it's all flash, and, and like HPC class storage. And that time to load the data, process the data, and then return the data, that long transfer cycles are all idle for the GPUs. And our view of the world is much like virtualization and eventually cloud is this is a, a new pervasive technology that will be everywhere. It won't be AI just because you've got, let's say, like large language model going on. You're going to have an AI engine accelerating your chip design or an AI engine, you know, backending your ERP system or an AI engine, you know, uh, depending on what, what type of industry you're in, right, accelerating the processing of that. And so with VAST, what we're able to do is we can absolutely deploy as a silo, just like you would with a parallel file system. But what's becoming more attractive and strategic is we're actually the architecture for storing the traditional efforts of the engineering team and their tools that are being done on CPUs and desktops to develop products, as well as directly support access by the GPUs to then use the accelerated computing tools, um, which the business the business leaders are, are you know demanding. And, and are kind of in that FOMO state right now of like get into the infrastructure and take time out of our product development cycle or whatever the goal may be. And so that duplicity of I can store your enterprise data with enterprise availability, security, resiliency, and allow direct access by the GPUs at super pod performance levels, that we're in a unique position there because right now customers are either enterprise storage or parallel file system, and those two aren't crossing right now. So do you think that uh, we will focus more on end-to-end data pipelines and the way it actually interacts between multiple systems? Or or do you still think that most companies will still favor the siloed approach like this environment is attached to that environment and this environment, this really fast environment is for our GPUs only? Remember you started the conversation saying virtualization took off and, and there was so much change that came in. Like, like, let's just pause, right? I remember from 06 to 2010, a ton of conversations with customers doing their initial deployment and particularly around 09 and 10, right? A lot of customers coming back saying, I need to refresh this infrastructure and I'm not happy with how it worked out, right? And so um, the requirements changed. I think customers made a lot of early decisions around adopting VMware, particularly when it came to storage and just said, Who's the storage vendor we use today? Okay, great. We like that. But what they missed out on was the number of volumes that they needed or the scale that they needed or the, the benefits that came later with like, uh, you know, just a redundant set of data sitting on the storage system. So we brought out data deduplication, things of that nature. But backup applications changed. 
networking, uh, you know, software-defined networking was defined because we had to put control down the VM. Modern app, monitoring applications changed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so I think we're going to see the same inside of the AI space. And so I, and because we see this, we see customers building silos today and we see customers quickly understanding that the silo architecture where particularly if it's got to shift access data, that's, you know, the traditional data that around the product data really slow down the availability, uh, the ability of those systems to process quickly. We're seeing those customers kind of get to those learning lessons like folks did in the VMware early days, but they're getting there faster. There are some use cases that are just siloed, right? Someone turns up an LLM model and they want to make it part of a smarter chatbot. That's a, that's going to be a silo from day one, and and um, you know uh, the benefits of what we bring there uh, are exposed in in different ways. But um, my point this is I I I think you're going to see, and I think we're already starting to see it from vendors, right? Really put a focus on, on how do I make your your in your data center, right? What's your journey to, you know, AI enablement, right? Kind of like your journey to the cloud used to be. Um, and I'm not trying to be marketing centric there, but um, <clears throat> let me take this in a, in a different direction, if you will, because you said data pipeline. I opened up the conversation today talking about VAS as a data platform, right? I didn't say storage array. Uh, first off, we don't sell hardware. We're a software company. Uh, you know, we've got hardware Partnerships with HPE and, and Dell and AIC and Supermicro, um, et cetera, right? We are a software company. Uh, the architecture that we've built, you know, really allows us to be a new type of storage that is optimal for AI. But that's not what we're, our goal is. Our goal is not to be a software-defined storage platform. We're just sit there to be a data platform. And so, you know, last year in, in the second half of 2023, you know, we, um, or the first half of 2023, right, we released our, our tables. The second half, we released our database. Um, and we've already announced our data engine for the first half of 2024. And all of these components come together to be a more modern version of a data pipeline where we're able to ingest, process, take action on the data, um, and actually bring semi-structure or structure to unstructured data. And so if you look at customer environments today, you know, look, the last 15 years, the storage industry got drunk on all flash, right? It was, you know, all flash startups or let's get all flash, system, you know, flash into, you know, legacy systems. And meanwhile, there was a whole data ecosystem around managing data uh, at scale, at velocity, enriching the data. Um, that included, you know, a lot of tags, a lot of data preparation, um, and again, if you're an infrastructure person, you may like, well, that's not my, that's not my space. I, I deal with the infrastructure components. The data is another team. What we're, what we're missioned to do is to actually collapse that. And in some ways, maybe a, a parallel to like HCI, right? You took infrastructure and you took, you know, the infrastructure management and you made it designed specifically for supporting a vSphere environment, um, Right, like we, we kind of collapse that, and then you were selling it back to the, the vSphere team, you know, not to the traditional infrastructure team, and, and that's what we're attempting to do here. So, um, what's really interesting is is the collapsing of these data services into a data platform allow customers to 
do more with their data in a shorter time period. And I'm, I'm happy to give a couple of examples, but I want to pause because I saw you kind of raise your finger for a moment. Yeah, because I want to slow you down a little bit because it's very interesting what you said. <laughs> you, you said, um, you mentioned unstructured data, structured data, and you said about, <laughs> hey, but this is not for me as a VI admin. And like I said in the beginning as well, what we typically did was we want we wanted to have the infrastructure fire on all cylinders. So can you tell us, yeah. First, explain what's unstructured data and what's structured data and what the impact sure. is on performance and how you deal with these different types of, of data structures. Okay. Yeah. Um, thanks, Frank. I appreciate that. So unstructured data is, is typically what you'd refer to as like NAS data. It's data that, that are, is file-based that you store over NFS or SMB or you store in an S3 you know, um, bucket. And so think, think about like unstructured um, in this terms, which is unstructured data um, has metadata. So you can tell like what type of data is. Is this a document? Is this an image? Um, I may have metadata, like if you stay on the image construct, right? Like as a geo tag from your phone. Okay, well, where was this shot? There's tags on the, what is it? The EXIR data, right? The when was it shot? You know, what's the date and time? Um and and that's great, right? So I've got I've got all these these say, say images, and I know when they were shot and where in the world they were shot. What I don't know is what's in the image. Show me all the images of Frank. Show me all the images of Lego. Show me all the images of a lunar Lego set, right? And kind of riffing off what's in your background there, but um, that comes in through data enrichment, right? And you 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 enrich the data whether it's through AI um, or through other mechanisms where you add to the tags. And so I'll give you an example, kind of put it into like an AI space. You may say, here's a bunch of, of unstructured data and it's around uh, uh, you know product that we create. And you, you, you train a model on this data and you get your result and your results got an accuracy or right, of, of X and you go, oh, you know what we, what we now understand after looking at the first kind of results from our, our algorithm and our model is that, um, we don't want to look at all the data. We just want to look at all the data. Uh, and I'll go back to like, all, all the data that just contained Lego. And so what what you can do on the vast system right now is I can actually, whether go to a command line or do it through our GUI, or if you do some of the Apache arrow uh, connectors, I can do this in, in Spark or Trino today is I can actually say, you know what? Um, show me all the data that's just tagged as uh, Lego lunar sets uh, it'll go, whoop, here's all the data, go, cool. Now clone that, make it its own volume, boop, and now immediately go and retrain against that. And if you're not doing that on VAST, what that would mean is you've got your source data set, you're going to go filter on it, you're going to run some database queries, then I'm going to go copy that data to another data set so that I've got a restricted set of data to go train on again. And so the alternative is just time, right? Time and, and infrastructure resources to go copy and move data around. Well, what we're saying is, is we're bringing intelligence and thus semi-structured to unstructured data. Yeah. So one thing that you said was we can enrich the data with AI. And that's a very yeah. interesting thing because, like you said, you're oh. a data platform. You you figure out a way to actually uh, ensure that the data is, is actually f uh, arriving fast at your environment, basically getting the best performance and getting the best uh, utilization. So within VMware, we have what's called the three pillars. We 
use AI to make our organization better. We incorporate AI into the products to enrich the product. And of course, we basically build a platform that allows our customers to actually create their own AI ML application. So are you doing the same? Are you uh, enriching the platform with AI capabilities? So we use AI today in a, in a, in a number of ways. Um, probably the, the one that's most impactful is, is in uh, developing our, our product and our, our support, right? So you want to look at uh, events, support-related events, right? Fingerprint them and, and, and uh, build, um, train on that data, I should say, so that you can build support structures that help identify issues within the product uh, ahead of them actually impacting a customer, right? So we do that today. Within the customer environments where we're deployed, we're not doing anything around GPUs or AIs to the data that sits on the systems ourselves. However, in our data engine um, that we've announced, but it's not released yet, that we're, we're looking to release the first half of this year, um, we will be introducing the notion of, of triggers and functions, right? So as your data is being ingested to the system, if it meets a set criteria, the trigger that you that the customer would define, we can then take action on it via the function, whether that action is enrichment or some other type of action, uh, you know, what you want to bring is, is intelligence to the data platform so that it's, you know, helping your process, reducing the steps and time associated in your pipeline. And then there's ancillary benefits to that too, right? You know, you know cost reduction, license reduction, support, you know, single throat to choke. So um, yeah, there's, I'll give you an example, Frank, right? I, uh, uh, I met with a production movie production studio and they talk about, you know, reducing production time <clears throat> and, you know, the production uh, space and virtual effects has really changed in the past. Uh, uh, studios would go to virtual effects houses and they would uh, get charged for, you know, the uh, rendering of a scene. And what's happened over time now is that the, the studios, as the technologies evolved, the studios have put a lot of pressure on the virtual effects houses now and the price for that work has dropped. And so if you're a virtual effects house, the way that you, you um, find margin is the rate at which you complete the rendering, right? Or the effects application, right? It's much more about time, um, not reduce the cost of everything in my infrastructure. It's actually give me the most performant. And so one of the things that, that I did not know, but makes a lot of sense, and I learned about it in the virtual effects industry, but it's applicable to many other industries, is that... Um, Customers will have data for a project, say in the in virtual effects space, it's a it's a scene, and in that and and it sits on NAS storage so it can be rendered. But then you have a database that control, con, uh, stores metadata about that scene. So, what characters are in that scene? What's what what movie? What where is it at in the sequence of the movie? Um, what were the rendering tools? And what were the settings for the rendering tools of that scene? And what was explained to me is that inevitably the data gets corrupted. And if, and to put the data back, a storage vendor would say, Oh, oh, oh I got a snapshot. Boom. I can put that data back in a couple of seconds. Don't worry about it. And they're like, that's not our problem. Our problem is I have to roll the data back and the metadata. And they said, so while the storage array can move the data back to a previous state quickly through snapshots, they then have to get a DBA to go into the database and say, I need you to go edit the database just for the attributes of that file or set of files or directory structure 
right? Now you're starting to see, right? And roll it back to the, the database entries that align to the snapshot of the storage array that we're putting it back to. If that sits on us, every piece of data is actually uh, cataloged inside of the VAST system so that if we're storing the data and the metadata in our database, if you have to snapshot restore it, the database entries just go back with it, just like all the other metadata and the data itself. And so, you know, we've had, we've had companies tell us, you're taking months out of my production window because it literally takes days or weeks for someone to make the database changes. That's just one example of many where, you know, what we're doing is, is unique, but we're not doing it in an unguided fashion. We're, we're having large enterprises tell us, we struggle with all of our data and all the tools to support our data. It would sure be great if a data platform could address all of this. Yeah. <clears throat> and using that, that use case, which we always love here at, at the unexplored territory, what do you think uh, can help administrators and architects to correctly design their platform to accommodate these types of workloads? Yeah, great question. Um, my first guidance would be something we kind of touched base on, but maybe didn't close off earlier is um, before you get caught up in speeds and feeds, think about your architecture and the data flow. You can have a really, really fast silo, but if getting data into and out of that silo is a constraint, it won't matter how fast the silo can go because that won't be your bottleneck. You've got to think about it in terms of Little's law. So Little's law is all about like, um, <laughs> Frank knows, <laughs> it's all about, uh, you know, IO flow. And basically, um, it's not about how, you know, what your your shortest latency is. It's what's the outlier latency do on your results. And so, you know, uh, if you were like in the analytics space, if you've got like a dashboard or a report in Splunk or Elasticsearch, it doesn't matter if 99% of your data gets, you know, gets, you know, a millisecond response time. If the last piece of data sits on a 10 millisecond response time, your report's not done until the last piece of data gets there. And, you know, that's the reality of the industry. So you've got to kind of look at, uh, to your question, you got an AI initiative. I'm an infrastructure person. Before you get into speeds and feeds and, and, and just look at, you know, pure performance, think about your end-to-end IO pipeline or processing, data processing line. And, and for some folks, if you haven't been supporting maybe data analytics or pipelines in the past, that might be a new, you know, a new challenge for them. And it certainly seems like a new challenge with, with GPUs coming in and this whole notion of like the GPU silo versus the traditional CPU infrastructure. Yeah, and we haven't even touched about similarity search, like you already mentioned uh, before, <laughs> which is an insane new topic as well. And I think it's going to be the future of the the applications that will be deployed in uh, most enterprises, at, at least in the upcoming years. So I think we, we need to have you back uh, in a few months to talk about your new released product, of course, and maybe we can expand more on days and we can talk a little bit about a similarity search. So before you go... Sim- similar, similar, similarity data reduction. Oh, oh wow. So just to click. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice cliffhanger. <laughs> so and, and <laughs> beyond this cliffhanger, do you have any famous last words or anything that you want to plug? Yeah, look... Um, I don't expect everyone in this podcast to be familiar with VAST. Um, We're doing tremendous. We just had a, a funding round in December. It was our Series E. 
are we have a valuation of $9.1 billion. That for a startup is incredible. Um, we're, you know, we're just at 700 employees now, uh, and we are probably going to double over the course of 2024. Um, I am hiring. <laughs> we are doubling the, the entire sales force. So if you've got an interest here, um, and look, we, we are trusted by some of the largest organizations in the world right now. I mentioned to you a bunch of the GPU clouds, you know, but our customers also include G Research and Pixar and Zoom and the Allen Institute and NASA, the National Institute of Health, the United States Department of Defense, the Lawrence Livermore National Labs. Uh, I hope uh, I didn't overwhelm your, your your tech folks here with being a little uh, little on the, the salesy side there, but um, we're doing something very unique and special here. And uh, again, we may have started as a storage platform, if you will, but the data platform is really where where we're going. And yeah, when we when we release our database, I'd be happy to come on and, and I'd probably go bring somebody from our office of the CTO to actually uh, give you a little bit more depth there because uh, I'm still on my educational uptick, if you will, uh, in uh, learning more of these data systems. I will include the links in the show notes. So thanks, Vaughn, for this very interesting episode. And that's it. We've reached the end of another episode of the Unexplored Territory podcast. If I have to summarize today's episode, my key takeaways would be that keeping the GPU busy is a major challenge. Data platforms need to support logical petitions to keep a consistent stream of data while securely segmenting data resources amongst the tenants. Again, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast or rate it anywhere possible. If you have any feedback, please send us a message on Twitter on at Unexplored Pod. I would like to thank my guest today, Vaughn Stewart, for a fantastic episode. Thanks, Frank. It was really good talking to you again, mate.